I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Ed Matthews. Ed's a seasoned real estate investor and the founder of Clark Street Capital. Uh, he has over a decade of experience in the industry, um, and Ed has built an impressive portfolio of multifamily, re multifamily rental properties in Connecticut in the Southeast. So first, Ed, let me just say thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out and uh, coming to chat with me on uh, a late Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. Nice to nice to see you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, and, and real real excited to sort of dig into to what you're doing, um, what your background is. So let's let's just start yeah. there. Let's start with tell tell the listeners your story, kind of how you, uh, where you came from, how you got into real estate, what the you know what your journey's been like. So born and bred in Connecticut. I'm a Northeast guy. Um, I uh, have. Um, started off career-wise. Well, I'm a dad and a father of, of two daughters and two uh, two puppy dogs. And um, <clears throat> I grew up uh, career-wise in the technology field, working for yeah, mostly Silicon Valley-based companies, uh, working here on the East Coast for about 24 years or so. And, uh, you know, along the way, I realized that traveling 150 to 200 nights a year for my job was going to make it very difficult for me to have a, a, a significant impact in my daughter's lives. And it's really hard to have that impact when you're, you know, at a courtyard Marriott somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah, sure. So it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, so basically uh, we started a side hustle. I'd love to tell you that there was a grand plan that, you know, eventually this, our real estate portfolio will overcome my salary and I'm going to leave yeah. and I'm going to do it in three years and so on. Uh, it was nothing of the sort. Um, you know, I'm passionate about real estate uh, for a lot of reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into today. And uh, it, it just kind of happened. We, you know, it was a side hustle that was fun. And then it became, you know, a, a decent moneymaker. And and then over time, it became something that we could rely on for our family's, uh, you know, uh, our family monthly bills. And so when it started to get close to, uh, the, when our portfolio basically surpassed my uh, salary, I, you know, my wife and I sat down and said, are we ready to do this? And okay, let's go. And, uh, that was five years ago and haven't looked back. And, you know, it's funny. I, um, I get phone calls from former colleagues every once in a while, like any chance you want to, and I, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> I am unemployable now. Um, you, you would not want me to, to be on your team because I'm too used to being an entrepreneur and doing what I want and having freedom. So, uh, you know, it's uh, but it's been a great ride and uh, not done yet. And, you know, so we're we're really focused on getting to, you know, a certain amount of of uh, holdings and then we'll take a deep breath and and figure out what we want to do next. Nice. Nice. So a couple of things I want to ask you about and, and one of them, we can sure. start wherever you want, but I, but, you know, your, your at least your bio, <clears throat> you know, it says you invest in Connecticut in the southeast. So. 
Yeah. Very different markets. Uh, we're both, Very. we're both from the Northeast. We're both from New England. Um, and I, yeah. and I, though I would love to own something in, you know, up and around, I'm from Boston. So like up and around that area, I would love to have it in large part. So I have a place to go when I go back and visit family and friends and right. stuff and, you know, right. like Airbnb, whatever it is, but, <clears throat> but also I, I just love, I love the city, but it's just a different type of market, right? We're talking about in, in the, the Northeast versus, you know, where, where a lot of people, at least maybe um, the popular opinion is, oh, you got to invest in the, the landlord friendly states. And that's, you know, that's going to be the Southeast yeah. Texas, that kind of thing. There, there's a big difference sure. in terms of legislation, but um, maybe t- tell us about, you know, sort of your start. And then I know you said mm-hmm. it was, it was a side hustle. So, um, you know, kind of talk about that in the journey and then to, to what you're doing now that it's a full-time job, but I'm, but I'm also intrigued how that ties into what your portfolio looks like. Is it, you know, are you mainly focused in Connecticut? Are you mainly focused in the Southeast? Is it pretty well split? Just again, uh, just a bit of a more detail <clears throat> into what you're, what you're doing in your, you know, in your real estate business. Yeah. Great question. So um, the, the uh, majority of our portfolio is in New England. Uh, so it's in Connecticut and uh, a little bit in Vermont. Um, we are uh, just moving our business down to the Carolinas. And so we're, we've got a couple under contract and, you know, we're, we're just now starting to kind of plant our flag in the Raleigh area. And so the, you know, the whole idea here is, and I, I, t- I tell people this and they think I'm trying to be funny, but I'm really not. And it, you know, we buy, you know, dilapidated, frankly, crappy apartment buildings from landlords who really aren't that good at their jobs. And, uh, you know, our, our kind of uh, vision here is to, you know, first off, make them clean and safe, upgrade all the common areas, upgrade the units as they come open, but also, you know, serve those residents, right? And, you know, the fact is, is that a huge part of us taking over a, a property is repairing the relationship between the the residents and you know us as the property owners and managers, and so you know one of the things that <clears throat> you know I'm 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 uh, very focused on and our team is very focused on is uh, you know whether you you know our most of our residents are good hardworking people right they you know crank a wrench for a living to fix your car they pour your coffee at the local restaurant they you know, probably check you out at Walmart or, or Target. And, you know, most of most of our residents have multiple jobs, right, to, to kind of make ends meet. And so, but I, you know, from from a from a, a management perspective, we don't care, right? I mean, if you are a, uh, a brain surgeon or a lawyer or someone who is an auto mechanic, you're going to get the exact same treatment. And so that's usually in a lot of cases with the, with the buildings we're, we're taking over, that's a unique experience for them because they don't really, you know, they don't trust it for one thing. And so there's a repair that has to happen um, in that relationship. And, you know, one of the really cool things about um, our business is, and it's, it's kind of one of the things that juices me up is we are uh, very focused on, on vacancy rate. And the reason being is that, you know, the average, the average in Connecticut is yeah, it's probably somewhere in the ballpark of about 16 months. In other words, you're moving pretty much every other, you know, every year and a half or so. Um, you know, our our uh, retention uh, is actually we 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 pay attention to it every quarter, and we just snap the line, and so it's, it's just a hair over three and a half years. And so the reason being is that 
when they call with a question, we we call them back and we answer it. If we don't if we don't pick up the phone, you know, when something breaks, one of our guys is out there same day or first thing the next morning to check it out and fix it. And then a member of our team follows up and finds out if we fixed it to their satisfaction. And, you know, it, and so, you know, when we take over a building, it's a, it's, it's a very rapid change in terms of uh, look and feel of the building, as well as, you know, service that's being provided. It, you know, hopefully day one, they start to realize there's a new sheriff in town and we actually are committed to making sure that the building is clean and safe and we are creating a living environment you know a a living environment where they can be proud to you know raise their families and live and um we do that you know i love the fact that i get to lay my head on the pillow every night and know that i'm doing i'm doing well and doing right by these folks Mm -hmm. um the other part of it is we make more money doing it and and the reason being is that vacancies are really really expensive and you know from from having to uh, you know, go through and upgrade a unit to the fact that you're, you know, you have an empty, an empty apartment that isn't creating, you know, rev or isn't driving revenue. And so when we avoid that, um, it makes our business more profitable. And so, you know, that's, that's a fundamental piece of this as well. But, you know, the fact is, is that uh, we pride ourselves on the fact that it's, you know, we're, we're doing very well by doing right by the folks that live in our buildings too. Yeah, I mean, providing that resident experience, the positive resident experience is is so important. And I think, frankly, probably often missed. Um, what size what size apartments are we talking about? Are you doing, you know, and, and like I said, you know, we're both both from the Northeast and, and a lot of what's yeah. there is old three families, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of the newer stuff, you know, there's there's bigger apartment complexes and coming coming in, but it's like yeah. certainly yeah. uh a high percentage of sort of the rental product is that like two family, three family, maybe four, but, you know, sort of vertically, but what are you, what are you focused on uh, from a, from a you know, sort of size wise? Yeah. So we're um, so it's changed over the years, right? The, uh, where I started, you know, the first building I ever bought was a, uh, a four family in on Clark street in East Hartford, which is why we called the company Clark street. And um, the, uh, <clears throat> Basically, what we would do is we would buy a multi. Uh, I'd run out of money. We'd flip a couple houses, take that capital, and buy another multi, and run out of money, and do it again, and then rinse and repeat. Okay. And we did that yeah. for uh, about seven, almost eight years. And then when we went full time, when I went full time, uh, we started to trade up. So we started taking uh, opportunity to sell off those smaller units, and like you were saying, it's you know threes, fours, and a, a couple of fives and sixes, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're in the process, we've been in the process over the last five years to, to transition to kind of the next level property here in Connecticut, which is, you know, usually that end, uh, 25 unit. And so we've been, you know, selling off the multis 1031 exchanging into the, you know, into the, um, uh, somebody coined the term micro families, you know, that 10 to 50 unit yeah. space where, uh, institution tend to not play and it's mostly mom and pops. Right. And, you know, we've, we've found a pretty good comfort zone in that, in that space. That's where we live today. And same in, uh, you said Raleigh, I think that you're, you're sort of focused on down in the Carolinas. Yeah. Yeah. Everything we own is, is less than uh, 50 units. Yeah. It's a, uh, an, a, it's becoming 
actually even more and more intriguing to me at this point because some of the 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 just the pricing on the the very large multifamily seems to be yeah. um not aligning <laughs> with the returns that right. you're looking at with you know investors and so some of that uh you know smaller multi has has at least investigating has be, has become more appealing and 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 again mm-hmm. in some of its maybe nostalgic it's what i grew up around right it's it's what i lived right. in as a, as a as a kid right. as a teenager yeah, like, me too that's what we had right so it was it's it's just kind of an interesting um you know you have to look at all, all sort of whether it's different asset classes or different they, they almost are different assets within multifamily the you know the smaller versus even the midsize and then the large very large absolutely you know, multiple, multiple hundred units um are you syndicating how are you um kind of funding these i know you said before you went until you ran out of money and then kind of flipped some yeah. houses is that still the process like are these all owned strictly by you are you involving investors yeah. what's your your plan there yeah so uh originally you're right uh, this was coming out of our our savings account and turns out i don't have an infinite amount of wealth so we had to you know figure out if only right yeah. um yeah so you know be- <laughs> not, yeah well maybe someday uh the the, you know, so as we started to go full time, and I I left my you know job in Silicon Valley, you know all my all my colleagues and buddies and in that world were like, hey, let us in, invest in you. And I yeah. I said, yeah, hold off, um, give me, let me go break things, right? Because you know the the a side hustle and an actual business that you can invest in are two very different things. Yeah. And what I had you know in February of eighteen was a side hustle, and so we needed to build a team, we needed to build you know business systems and. Uh, and break stuff and then learn how to fix it and hopefully not do it again. Right. And so I did that for a couple of years. We continued to flip houses and, uh, and continued to, to, to acquire, you know, a little bit larger units or buildings. Uh, And then about a year ago, uh, I finally turned to friends and family and said, okay, you know, let's, let's see how we can pool our resources and start to buy, you know, a little bit larger properties. And so we started to do that. Um, so we've, we've done, we've, you know, from a joint venture perspective, I think there's probably eight or nine properties that we've, uh, worked with, um, you know, friends, family, and, and some former colleagues. Um, and then, uh, we syndicated our first building, uh, about four or five months ago. And so that is, uh, that, and that one was acquired back in December and the ones that we have under contract currently, you know, we've got a couple in in the Raleigh area, and we also have a a large development. It'll be the biggest project we've ever done um, here in Connecticut. That's uh, going to be upwards of eighty units, and so we're syndicating that as well. Right. What do you think is you know? Well, I, well, okay. I'm, I'm sort of I have like <laughs> question after question yeah. kind of lining Fire up. Away, man. Um, what do you feel? Why Raleigh? Like what? You know, if you were focused in that Connecticut area and Vermont, what? Yeah. Why then Raleigh? Why did you just decide? I mean, I know, like, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, kind of the southeast is one of those. It's the the place that that people talk about that that's where you're supposed to invest. Right. But, right. But why Raleigh specifically? What do you like about that market? Yeah. So, so in Connecticut, the the challenge here is that there aren't any big properties, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the ones that are even more than twenty five units are few and far between, and yeah. and most of them have been owned by the same family for 35, 40 years. And it's now the grandchildren who are running it and they have no intention of selling it. And yeah. so, you know, it, one of, one reason was it, they're just, 
in order to scale our business, we have to, you know, we we're forced mm -hmm. to leave the state. Yep. Um, the, the, the reason, so when we look at a ge geography, right. And we were looking in Kentucky, we were looking in Ohio, we were looking a little bit in Indiana, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. And, and, you know, what we look for is, is a handful of really specific things. Uh, I want, um, you know, from a population perspective, I at least want it to be stable over the last 10 plus years. Growing is better. Um, growing uh, above or, uh, you know, the average uh, growth of the growth states in the Thun Belt is even better. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, North Carolina is one of those places where, it, it it's kind of like you, they someone took the map of the U.S. and kind of tilted it towards Florida, and everybody's kind of rolling down uh, the map yeah. into it's you true. know somewhere below the Mason-Dixon line. And so, you know, we look for uh, you know uh, some really basic stuff, but we get pretty deep into it too. Um, you know, so I'm looking for population stability or growth, uh, looking for job growth, uh, looking for job diversity. So I want to see you know if if the manufacturing plant in town shuts down. Uh, it only, you know, it only employs 8% of the people and everybody else is going to be okay. And those 8% are going to find new, new jobs relatively quick anyway. So we're looking for, uh, you know, no, no one employer has more than 10% of the, of the employee base sector. Right. And so, so that's one thing. Um, we're also looking at investor activity, right? Because at some point we're going to want to sell this. And, uh, and I want to know that there's a vibrant community there. So we look at, you know, developments, construction starts, uh, adoption or absorption rates um, of the apartments that are coming online. Um, I'm looking for transactions. I want to see that the, that the, you know, the, lo the, the local area is, is active and that, and that buildings are trading. Um, you know, the other things we look at, obviously, at, you know, and that's kind of a macro approach, right? And then when we get into the micro, uh, well, actually, let me step back to the macro. So the other part of it is income, right? So I want to know that uh, the income of the median, uh, the median income of an individual and the median income of a family uh, can support the rents that we believe we can get within that, within that market. Um, and so, you know, it's the standard three X. So if you make uh, 9,000 bucks, you can order, you can manage a $3,000 a month, uh, rent. And if you make $3,000 a month, you can only handle a thousand. Right? right. And so we adhere to that very closely. Um, we also pay attention to poverty rates. And so any, any areas that are at that 9.7%, which is the U S average, um, if it's below, we're interested. If it's above, we take a pretty hard look at, you know, why it's above if, if, you know, and before we, we go to invest and then on the local level, you know, obviously we're paying attention to, you know, development within the series of neighborhoods we're looking at. We look at crime rates, obviously. We look at schools. Mm -hmm. uh, we we um, uh, we uh, subscribe to the local paper. Um, you know, we review the local, the, the city 10-year plans. You know, we really want to know what's going on. If there's a convention center coming in or if the mall down the street is struggling or, uh, you know, it's, an employer is uh, staffing up. Um, or if an employer is you know, being severely impacted by the recession that's, you know, allegedly coming, uh, we want to know all of that. And so that's, you know, we, we, we move very slowly to buy and, and, but once we do, you know, we're, we're like white on rice, but the, but the fact is, is that we're not in a rush to, to jump into a deal until we understand 
at comprehensively what's going on in the market. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And thank you for sharing all of, I mean, those are all extremely important, you know, especially if someone's considering it, you know, sort of uh, branching out to a new market, you may have a good handle on what, whether you're just starting or, or you may have a good handle on one market and now you're yeah. thinking about sort of um, adding to your portfolio. You really want to look at really all those things that you just mentioned before, uh, yeah. before you commit, before you purchase there. And and I think that the, at least for me, from an experience standpoint, what I've realized is is the micro is is extremely important. You know, sort of that the micro neighborhood or the markets within the market, right? Because you look at the city, but then you know, there's obviously all different parts of, of each city. And so it's, it's kind of right. um, being really aware of, of where you are and, and you, you know, you pointed to a, f- a few really good sources for the local paper, like people that have lived there a long time, just talking to them about right. like, where, where would you live? Where wouldn't you live? That kind of thing. Right. It's amazing what you learn by going to the local diner and sitting yep. at the counter and talking up the waiter or the waitress or the, yep. or the person working the register. It's amazing what you learn. Yeah. The other thing I do is it, now I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm, you know, I'm six, four and I'm not small. Right. So I'm imposing. So I can't walk up on people like walking through the neighborhood. So what I'll do is I'll drive up and I'll roll my window down and I say, excuse me, do you have a minute? And I wanted to know exactly what the question you were asking, which is, you know, what's it like to live here? Yeah. Right. Yep. And it, it's, I, uh, the other, I don't know that I would have thought of this on my own, but it sort of happened is just when you're, if you're doing any sort of value add, and I guess if you're in a, you know, development space, yeah. talking to the contractors, because most of those contractors Absolutely. know crop contractors, property managers, like they, they know that, you know, that market, like the back of their hand, and they can say, Correct. I've had them talk to me about, you know, don't, don't be south of this street, don't be, you know, right. east of this area. Or like, I expect this area to be huge in two years or three years, like just based on what they've seen in in growth in the market and stuff. So it is, it is really getting granular with, you know, kind of the people that are, that are well versed in the local market and and in it, like day to day in it. Um, So I I love kind of what you pointed out there. Um, When you, so as you moved into you know, kind of the joint ventures and the syndication and stuff. Yeah. How, how are you, how are you structuring all of this? What's, I guess more, more to the point, what's your role? I I know it started kind of side hustle and then you talked about building a team. So maybe what do you find is your kind of superpower in all of this? What do you, what do you, you know, like to have team members do? How do you, how do you work that? Yeah. So I am like by personality type, I'm a problem solver. So Typically, the things that the, the I, I have two basic roles here. One is acquisitions. So I'm the person who is uh, working with, like, if we're if we're working directly with a building owner, which is probably more than half of the deals we do. Um, you know, my job there is to kind of understand. Okay, you know, they're selling it for a reason, so they're struggling with something. So let me figure out what they're struggling with, so I can solve that, right? And so, you know, it's it, and. It's kind of where are you in your journey and where are you trying to get? And okay, how can I help you get there? Right. You know, some folks are looking to trade up and I'm, you know, a couple of years behind them. So I'm looking to trade up into their building and they're looking to trade up into something bigger. Those are more straightforward. Uh, But by and large, the reason we're buying is that there is, uh, you know, there's a problem with the tenant relationship. There's a problem with, 
uh, you know, a tax situation or, you know, that they run it, they don't have enough money to, to keep up with the maintenance or there's a CapEx expense coming down the pike that they don't know how to, you know, they, they don't have the ability to pay for. Um, and so, you know, part of what we're trying to do is kind of understand you know, where are you and where are you trying to get? How come? Right. Why are you selling? Um, so, so that's, we have a team of virtual assistants. So I have seven people that work in the Philippines and they do various things and we can get into what they do. Um, and one of them is a acquisitions person who, who is, you know, we target very specifically, like there are in, in Connecticut, there are, I think 1,208, uh, buildings that someday we'd like to own. Right. And so on a, you know, from a marketing perspective, we touch them once a month in some way, shape or form. Uh, whether it's a, a phone call from me or or Rona, our acquisitions person, or it's a direct mailer, or uh, if we have their you know email address or cell phone, we'll we'll reach out to them directly. Um, and uh, and so you know on a constant basis, Rona is filling my calendar with building owners who would like to talk about yeah, tell me what you know, tell me what you uh, what what you'd be willing to offer, and you know most of them. I'd say more than half of them are, you know, well, if you pay me a million dollars more than the building's worth, I'll sell it to you. And right. you know, I said, okay, right. well, I'll right. call you in 10 years when yeah. it's worth that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, the, the other part of it is I'm, I'm raising capital and yeah. same process, right? Understand kind of where you are in your financial journey and, and where you're trying to get. And do we have projects and offerings that will fit to help you kind of take the next few steps along that journey, right? So it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said that, you know, you're a problem solver. Cause I think that's, that's really at the, you know, sort of center of it all as a business owner, a CEO, like someone kind of at the top, you're, you're, you're a conductor, you're, you're a, you know, you're, you're the person that sort of just putting the pieces in the right place and, right. and, you know, right. solving those problems. And sometimes, sometimes I think it's almost about problem, uh, avoidance or, or <laughs> trying to anticipate yeah, problems and, and being out and ahead of them if you, yeah. if you possibly can. But, but yeah, in, in the terms of these sellers or, or in terms of the investors, what you're trying to solve their pain points. So um, I love, right. I love how you put that. Um, you, you brought something up about, you know, sort of building the the team of VAs and, and sort of putting that yeah. into place. And, and I, um, as I said, before we started recording, part of what I love about this podcast is I can ask you the questions that are relevant to me, but I am literally in the process of cool. starting to like build a VA team. Um, and so I'd love to kind of see what you, you know, a lot of people talk about it. They're like, oh, definitely leverage VAs. These, this is, you know, you can do. Yeah. And then, you know, the flip side or, you know, what people argue is it's like it, their English isn't good or whatever, you know, whatever, all of the, what I think are probably limiting beliefs and fear yes. of hiring people. But but tell me about your experience with it. Tell me kind of, you know, the process that you've taken and, and what sorts of things they're doing for you would be great. Sure. So we started with my executive assistant, so to speak. Um, excuse me. We uh, uh, So Janice came aboard just about four years ago, a little bit more than four years ago. And so she, it was just me and her at that point. And you know, one, we basically, you know, based on the business plan that I created, uh, we started to create, you know, what does the org chart look like six months from now, 12 months from now, 24 months from now, and so on. And then we started building out job descriptions. Um, so I'm a, you know, technology guy, right? So mm -hmm. I think in terms of systems and processes. Uh, and so, 
you know, one of the huge things that, that we committed to, I committed to, and then we, me and Janice committed to was uh, running this business as if it were a $10 million business now, even though it was nowhere near that. And it still isn't, by the way, full disclosure. Um, the, uh, but, but the fact is, is that, you know, we wanted to have the processes in place so that we could scale when we were ready. And so, uh, you know, I knew pretty much, you know, within the first month of going, going full time, kind of how the next few years were going to play out. And, uh, you know, then COVID hit and, and that, that changed the game a bit, but, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, nevertheless, um, you know, we, I had a ton of success with bringing Janice on. So she does a lot, right. Uh, initially she was, uh, handling correspondence. Um, and at that point we had a property manager that we had hired. Uh, so she was helping me making, you know, keeping tabs on the PM. Um, she was doing our social media for us. Like I would write it and then she would post it. And then she and I would take turns engaging. Um, and, uh, you know, she helped with direct mail. So I would give her a database and, and say, okay, I need, you know, these 400 properties, uh, need to get, you know, these series of seven letters and postcards over the next six months. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we would, you know, she would handle all that for me. Um, you know, one of the huge things that she did that, uh, you know, I, I, I knew was a weakness of mine is consistency. Right. And so, you know, like with marketing, with dealing with, you know, working with brokers or working with, um, building owners or investors for that matter, uh, consistency, you know, continual touches, right. You know, the law of seven touches, and it's going to take me seven times to, to be in front of you in some way, shape or form, whether it's a logo or you see me talk somewhere or you listen to a podcast I appear on, or you get a letter from us or whatever. Um, you know, it's going to take seven times to recognize that this face and this logo uh, deliver, you know, solve these set of problems and delivers this kind of value to you as a, as a, whatever you do. Right. And so having that person own that, um, so that I could run around like a crazy man and buy buy buildings and work with my contractors to fix them and do all the other things that I was doing. Um, you know, she was uh, predictably and very consistently reaching out to all the people we needed to reach out to. Uh, and then uh, as we grew, um, I, I brought on, let's see, I brought on next, I brought on a uh, social media manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he is now responsible for all of the uh, you know, uh, channels that we, you know, from Facebook to YouTube to Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, you know, he's responsible for making sure that everything, you know, I'm still writing 95% of the stuff that's going out, but, uh, you, you know, jazz, who's, uh, the gentleman who runs it, um, you know, his job is to make sure that everything, you know, the trains run on time, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, then we brought on a, um, an acquisition person so that I could, kind of take one step back from dial in for dollars that would free me up to, to really focus on, uh, you know, in that case, it was mostly building owners. So I was, you know, buying, I, I, I tell people all the time and it's true today, I'm a cheap date, right? So, you know, if, if you're willing to give me 20 minutes, I'll buy the coffee and I'll tell you everything I know. I'll answer every question you have. And I'll tell you everything I know about the subject that you want to talk about, you know, real estate, how to manage properties, whatever. Right. And so, you know, a lot of my days was talking to, talking to, you know, property owners and, you know, either helping them figure out how to run their property more efficiently, uh, which was, you know, my way of giving back 
uh, and knowing that someday they're going to want to sell. And hopefully they remember that, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, my, my, uh, intentions were pure and that I do want to, I, you know, and that, that I was able to help them hopefully. And, you know, maybe they give me an opportunity to buy their building. Right. So it's a lot of relationship building. Right. Uh, after that, we, so that's when Rona joined the team and, and she, you know, started dialing for dollars and now she handles all of our transaction coordination as well. Um, which is a big job. And I have a feeling we're going to have to split that job probably in the next six to 12 months because it's, it's a lot. Um, and, uh, and then we hired, then we decided to take in property management. So I hired a property manager and uh, her job was to, uh, you know, help build that relationship with the residents. So, you know, we use a technology called Mlane that is our, our uh, property management tool and our platform. And so, Hemlane's a little bit unique. Appfolio does this too. Hemlane has a tier one help desk. In other words, if a resident has a problem, they can get online and, and chat with someone 24 seven, or they can pick up the phone and call them. And, uh, you know, their job at Hemlane is to kind of triage whatever's going on, right? You know, blood, flood, or fire, an emergency, I get a phone call immediately. Everything else uh, is, you know, the goal is to try and solve it on the phone. Uh, and then have, you know, a member of our maintenance team, you know, and, and I can talk about that in a minute, uh, go out and diagnose what's going on and, and get it fixed. Um, then we uh, brought on a web person uh, and, uh, you know, his job is is to handle, we use a technology called ClickFunnels to, to manage our, to, you know, for our website. And so his job is to maintain that website, uh, build landing pages for lead magnets that we're putting out there, marketing pieces that we're putting out there. Uh, as well as do search engine optimization. Um, and, uh, oh, and then we have an investor relations person as well. And so um, basically what we did is I hired Janice. Now she lives in the Philippines. She works my hours. So she lives about 8,000 miles away from where, where I am. Uh, her English is as good or better than mine. Um, I think that she, well, she is highly educated. Uh, she is honest as the day is long. She's as hardworking as anybody I've ever met. Uh, she's really, really smart. And, and, and I know that because I've thrown so many things at her. Hey, do you think you can do this? And, you know, her answer is almost always yes. Uh, and I get back a product that is better than I would have done. So, yeah. you know, she's really helped, helped me personally scale. Uh, and then I the next challenge was, okay, we need to go hire and fill out the org chart that you and I built. I want you to do it. And so she would go out and find, um, she uses a lot of the, in the Philippines, there are a lot of Facebook groups for virtual assistants. And, you know, we had the job descriptions created. So she would publish the job description and she'd get, I don't know, 40, 50 resumes and inquiries. And then she'd sift through them and I'd, I'd meet three of them, you know, a few days later and I'd pick one. And by and large, we picked rock stars. And I don't attribute that to my interviewing skills. I attribute that to her betting skills um, because yeah. the three people that I was meeting on a regular basis, I could have hired any of them and they would have been successful. Right. So it came down to kind of cultural fit and, yeah. you know, whether or not they were, um, uh, uh, yeah, make, you know, they were experienced enough and a good fit for what we were looking to do. Um, so, yeah, we've grown to, I think it's seven virtual assistants and me right now. And then, you know, locally, uh, we keep it super simple, right? There's a handyman 
that we've known and trusted for years uh, that handles every single one of the, you know, individually the property. So there's handymen all over the place that uh, that their job is to is to triage and fix what they can. And then we have relationships with plumbers, electricians, HVAC folks, uh, landscaping folks um, that get called in as needed. So, yeah, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah. But technically, I'm the only employee of the company. So <laughs> it's, it's I mean, it's yeah, it's I, I'm frankly very encouraging for me to hear that because it's it's sort of what I have in my head as far as the structure. And I have I have uh, an executive assistant. I don't call her a VA though. She's in Atlanta and I'm here in LA. So I guess technically, but she's someone I already knew. So it's, it's uh, you know, it is what it is in terms of what, whatever the the proper term is for it. But, but yeah, that my, my hand. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like someone that like, literally, like you said, you just kind of like, can you do this? And then she makes it happen and it's fantastic. And I, I see, I do see who her being, you know, kind of the person that that handles hiring these these other VAs to like to add to the team. I I really do think because yeah. it's like I'm just keep kind of adding more to her plate and seeing how she, you know, it's like tell me when that's too much and then we'll we'll figure right. it out. And it's like she hasn't really said that yet, but I I think we're getting there. And so I I I the the people that you brought on and sort of the order that you brought on, I feel like makes. Mm-hmm makes sense it's kind of how i feel like it, it it sort of needs to go in terms of you know as you as you grow the business so uh thank yep. you for for laying that out um sure and i'm, I'm going to switch gears and ask you the questions that i get to ask every guest because i uh, as much as i am enjoying this conversation i'm sure you would like to have your friday night um so okay. i will go ahead and we'll start with uh the first one is always uh based on the name of the show but um what is your why? What what drives you? You know, uh, to to be so successful. So it's a it's a it's a it's a little bit personal if you don't mind me sharing. Um, of course. The uh, so there's a genetic fact in my family, and that is that my wife's uh, family tends to live into their very late nineties and early one hundreds. Like all the women in the family. In fact, my father in law used to joke that the women in the family don't know enough to lay down. Right? I mean, they're just they live forever. And, <laughs> you know, cool. my folks don't, right. Um, you know, my folks tend to tend to pass on in their mid to late eighties. And so, you know, that tells, and my wife is ex- very healthy and, uh, in great shape. And, you know, um, I, uh, yeah, she's, she's going to be the one that lives to be 150. Right. And so, you know, one of the things and knock on wood, I hope so. Yeah. Um, so, Knowing that is that, you know, there, it becomes, comes the reality that there's 15 or 20 years, she's going to be here without me. And I need to know when I lay my head down for that last time that she's okay. And for, for a bunch of reasons, right. Two predominant ones are, uh, well, three, one, she's my person and I want to make sure that she's good. Right. And that she's well cared for and, and all that. Um, so real estate provides that cash flow over the course of time. So I'm in my early 50s, I'm 53. So, you know, I've got about 30, 35 years to go. Um, and so, you know, the job here is to acquire enough real estate that cash flows that supports her no matter what she needs, right? Whether that's assisted living or, you know, more advanced care or whatever. Um, I want to make sure that she's good and, and that she's well cared for. 
The other reason I want to do it is uh, because if I didn't do it, it falls on my kids. And, you know, my girls uh, don't necessarily, you know, uh, my oldest is a criminal justice major. And so she could either be a FBI profiler or, a, you know, a, a state trooper or, you know, maybe a social worker. And none of those jobs pay particularly well. So she's not going to have, you know, gobs of money. And my youngest, who's uh, 15, you know, told me a, a couple of months ago that she was really thinking about phys- being a physical therapist for, you know, sports teams. And I don't know how that pays. I I, I have no idea if that's, you know, yeah. a, a business to build wealth on, but I'm going to assume it's not. And so, you know, I want them to have um, to be able to live their lives and not have to have the financial pressure of taking care of their mom because their dad didn't, didn't do what he needed to do. Um, so that's, that is my why gets me up every morning. That's uh very well stated. And um, thank you for, I mean, sort of sharing the personal, I, a lot of people, a lot of people answer that with some level of family and, and, and it's the same for me. Right. But the, the things that you yeah. said and the, and the, the reality of, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm older than my wife. I expect, well, we don't really, I don't think we have familial differences, but I'm like, I expect if, well, I don't even know, I don't know who's going to be gone first, but I'm not going to take any chances that if it's me, that she and the kids are not good to go. So it's kind of like, that is, that is exactly, you know, same thing. Like, that's how I look at this is what do I need to put in place to, make it so that it's, it's, you know, hopefully I, I assume they'll have some level of emotional uh, hardship if, if I'm gone, but, but like there shouldn't be any financial hardship is, is really kind of what it comes down right. to. And I, you know, I've right. even, that should be the easy part. Right. right. And I, like I've, I've gone as far as I've, ta- I've you know, we, we have, I think a lot of people have life insurance policies, but I'm like, if I die, these are the people you talk to and take this, take this life insurance policy, get it invested passively. And you'll, that'll take care of you. Like regardless of even what we have, you know, from our own portfolio, but just, so I I very much resonate with the idea of just, you know, kind of how am I setting things up for when I'm gone? And then, you know, hopefully we all live to 150 and, you know, continue to enjoy life, but we, but we don't know. And so it's kind of like, there's way too many stories about, you know, people getting sick or, or, you know, that losing their job or whatever it is to, to leave right. that to chance. So, um, right. I, I, I definitely, uh, appreciate you sharing that and, and, you know, sort of diving into that so deeply, um, on a lighter note, typically yeah. the, the next question is, sorry, I went a little dark there. No, 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 not dark. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's, it's yeah. valuable stuff to just talk reality. about. Like people just don't, that's, right. that's life. Like, like we are not going to live forever. And, uh, so if you, get a little bit comfortable with the reality of mortality you can you can use that as motivation and I, and i've heard other people mm-hmm. really talk about it that way like like joe fairless you probably know who he is but right. sort of a, a big multifamily sure. guy he has a death clock it sounds very morbid but it's at the same time like the reason is like if you are actually looking at the number of time uh, the exact amount of time that you expect to live like that's probably going to motivate you to, you know, make some waves in the time that you have left. I, I forget, I think I saw something on social media very recently and that someone said that they look at the rest of their life in months. And if you look at it in months, you don't have that many, like it's, it, the number becomes a lot smaller. So it's kind of just like 
really that that reality. So, um, but anyway, se- second question is uh, sure. tell us something about yourself that's that's maybe not common knowledge, a special skill, a hobby, uh, you know, something that you enjoy. Just just to let people know you a little bit better. So I am a Villanova basketball fanatic. Um, it's probably well known cause I'm really, when they're good, I'm really obnoxious about it. Uh, but the, uh, you know, the men's and women's, um, I am a basketball junkie and there's, uh, you know, I, um, uh, I was better at other sports. I really wish I was good at basketball so I could have actually done something with it, but you know, talent is what it is. And, uh, and, but I eat, I, I probably watch a couple hundred games a year. Um, just, you know, whether it's watching Nova or, uh, you know, San Diego state and Wisconsin playing, you know, at, at 10 o'clock at night, you know, I, it doesn't much matter to me if it's good ball, I'll, I'll watch it. And I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge college basketball fan. Okay. So, so college basketball, are you, uh, do, do you follow the NBA at all? Or is it, I, I feel do. like people are I very more and specific more. sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's I mean, a different, I mean, it's a different form of right basketball, now. right? So yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm a Celtics it's, fan, it's, it's although, a different game. you know, you know, it's so strange that I'm also a Knicks, you know, fa- I can't say fan. I can't get myself to say that, but <laughs> uh, I am a, a interested follower of, of the Knicks, given that two of the starters are, are Villanova guys, uh, Brunson and, and Josh Hart. So, yeah. uh, I've been affectionately referring to them as the Villanova Knicks and, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, that's how I reconcile it in my caveman brain that it's okay to watch and root for them. So, right. Right. Yeah. I, until, until they're in Boston and they're, they're playing my, my guys, but right. you know, that's, that's a couple weeks from now. Hopefully. Is it, I was, they're playing the Knicks, right? Like that's the next round, right? Is in my, or no, or uh, 76ers, the I think. Sixers, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which um, is not, not, not easy. So we'll see. No, I, it's not, I don't think the East is easy at all. Funny. I, I should have uh, worn my, I have a Jason Tatum Jersey. I should have worn that for this. Had I known we were going to talk yeah. basketball. Um, right on. Awesome. So when people hear this and they want to reach out, what's, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah. So I'm very active on social media. So uh, you can find me under uh, Ed Matthews or Ed Matthews four uh, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, uh, I'm on YouTube um, under uh, Clark Street Capital, uh, as well as uh, Clark Street Capital has its own pages on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Um, the other thing you can do is is reach out to me on our website at ClarkStreet.com, ClarkST.com. And uh, if um, you know we're a small company, and like I said, I'm the only actual employee of the company. Everybody else is a contractor, so. Uh, really good chance I'm going to see the the uh, you know any inquiries and I'm I'm happy like I said I'm a cheap date I'm happy to spend time with with anybody who wants to ask questions or learn about our business or you know learn about uh, multifamily and real estate in general um, I've been very fortunate to have some really good mentors and uh, they didn't want anything from me and try as I might and uh, so the way I pay them back is I pay it forward so. I'm happy to do that too. Um, the other thing is, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll uh, plug my podcast, uh, The Real Estate Underground. Um, so we uh, interview every week. We interview, um, you know, real estate investors from all over the country and talk about their business. And you know, it's not all multifamily. A lot of it is, well, a lot of it is multifamily. But, but you know, I, I talk to flippers and real estate developers and build-to-rent folks and. 
um, self-storage folks and into industrial investors. And, you know, so we try to get a whole bunch of, um, you know, different types of perspectives and, you know, similar to what you and I were talking about before you hit, before we started recording this is that, you know, the cool part about having a podcast is that uh, I get to talk with really smart people who are really accomplished and, um, you know, quite frankly, the only reason they're talking to me is because I have a podcast, because if I called their office, they probably wouldn't right. return my call. Right. So it's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a sneaky way to meet, meet really, really interesting people. Yeah. It took me a while to realize that like to, to, yeah. it did, it took me a while to realize that I could sort of leverage the podcast as a way to get some questions answered that I, you know, like you start right. talking to these people that are just, just know so much. They're so experienced, you know, so intelligent in, in whatever sort of their niche is. And it's like, yeah. then it's just, you get, you get to have these conversations. Like, I mean, I feel I've learned a lot today just from you. This is just like Thank every you. person. And I don't even care. I don't care if they're ahead of me, behind, like behind ahead, whatever you want to call it. Like if they're, they've been doing it longer. I've been doing it longer. I don't, I still feel like I learn things from, you know, people, Without people a doubt. at all levels. It's, it's so great. I mean, it's really, really yeah. the best part of having a podcast. Yeah, man. I think, I think we're all reading the same, same book in this industry. And, and, you know, some people are a few chapters ahead of me and I may be a couple of chapters ahead of them. And, but you know, everybody brings a skill set and a perspective to the table so we can all learn from each other. It's a yeah, good thing. Absolutely. All right, Ed, final question for you before I let you go. Yeah. Um, what is a piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to get started in real estate? They hear you today and they're like, this guy sounds super cool. What can I do to follow in his footsteps? Uh, so first and foremost, educate yourself. Um, it, you know, If you watch TV, you think that flipping is really easy. It's not. And it's really, <laughs> it, it's really hard. Um, and there's a process to it. So I, I'd say, first off, educate yourself. Uh, the most important piece of advice is start now, right? The best time to invest in real estate was 10 years ago. The next best time is right now. And, uh, you know, don't try to time the market. It's not possible. Uh, simply cut the best deal you possibly can. If you're in the rental business, make sure cash flows from day one. Uh, if you are in the, you know, flipping or development business, uh, make sure that you are assuming the worst case scenarios and manage those. And then when the mushroom clouds don't happen on, you know, occur on the horizon, you're pleasantly surprised and you make some money. Right. Um, but th that is the advice I would give. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, well, listen, thank you so much. Uh, this has been, yeah, my been awesome. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking the time out today. Um, of course. I, I, I definitely appreciate it. And, and to the folks listening, um, please, uh, the way that we get great guests like Ed is with, you know, more exposure. And that is through, likes, rate, ratings, and reviews um, so that we can reach more and grow our audience. So um, thank you, Ed, for being here today. And thank you all for listening. My pleasure, Jason. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.